Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. I was sort of born into the healthcare industry. My father, when he was a younger lad, had a bout of cancer and went through the traditional route and he survived it, which was obviously very good, but it got him on a global tour to look at other therapies. Back, you know, in the 1950s, 1960s, cancer was very much a, a very horrible surgical response. And to that, he met some wonderful people and became extended family to me as I grew up. Took obviously a very active role in my life, kept pushing me down that medical aspect. And so today I've had experience in what we would call consumer life sciences. So that might be vitamins, minerals, dietary, lifestyle, that sort of thing, because that plays a role, especially in oncology, but also in the more ethical, more orthodox approach, being the pharma world as we know it now. So long road to get to where I am, but I'm the type of person you bring in to take an idea and make it tactile and tangible. And I thrive in that. I thrive in building agile leadership teams to help do that because you've got to bear in mind for the first few years, all you're doing is you're selling a vision. But at the end of the day, our hope is that we deliver something that is, is real world that has a unique patient benefit that makes a difference. Mm. Yeah. And you know, when you talk about where I'm selling a vision all the time, because I think for a lot of our listeners, they're leaders at different levels within an organization or their own businesses and so forth. The importance of selling the vision, because A, how important is that? And B, not everyone's going to buy into your vision. So what do you do when they don't buy into it? So especially in the early days, you've got to have a bit of a thick skin. You're going to get a few knocks. You're going to get people that are going to call that bullet, uh, BS radar on you, right? And you're going to find people that don't want to deep dive it and they're going to have their own opinions. But at the end of the day, providing you're authentic, you believe in what you're doing, you're not overstepping your bounds because you find a lot of leaders and we just had a point in case go through the US courts recently where a wonderful business leader oversold herself, got herself in hot water, right? Okay, you know where I'm going, right? You don't want to create that kind of nexus. So it doesn't matter the team you put together they need to understand why and how. And there is no direct path on the how. It is always going to throw curveballs at you and you have to be agile enough that you can move and bend with it. But at the end of the day, as I refer to them, my lieutenants do a lot of the heavy lifting, but it's understanding that vision, having people buy into that vision. And when you find people that turn around and go, no way, it's just not going to happen. That's all a bit of BS. You just got to take it as it comes and basically move on. Mm. In other words, don't give up. Keep going. Keep 
But I think I, I like what you're saying about being authentic as well, because if you're authentic and real in the actual setting the vision and getting people to buy into it, that's really important. And I think communication and the way that you communicate with people would be important for people to buy into it so they can understand it. What's your thoughts there? Yeah, and there's certainly a lot of over-communicating in what you do. Right. And there'll be people that really do push that boundaries. But at some point, especially if you're going to the investor community, because you know you need money to run your project, over-communication can make you feel stale. So you have to balance that element of progression that is meaningful for your company, it's meaningful for the shareholder, shows that you are moving down the path and you're delivering what you're saying you're going to deliver. And at the end of the day, whilst we have big teams, we have small teams, the message is pretty similar through both. Why are we doing it? How are we getting there? What problems are we having? How do we overcome them? And we work through that. There is a lot of discussion. But I can't help but say I've heard lots of people stand and sell their vision. At the end of the day, culturally, if your team's not aligned and culturally, if your team hasn't bought in, and it all starts with you, right? And you aren't authentic behind the cause. That reason can't be felt, right? You can't make your words into something a lot more tactile. You're just not going to be able to sell it down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. I think the other thing I heard what you're saying there is about that you're just making sure that the messaging is the same as you go through as a foundation. You may adjust depending on who you're talking to, but it has to be the same. And I think that's a big trap for a lot of people because they will tell somebody one thing and then they'll tell someone else another thing. And it's, it's almost like those who lie, it's just hard work to keep lying. It's just hard. And so... And you get found out at the end of the day, right? And my, my, old, man, my old man has a saying, the hen always comes home to roost. Yes. And uh, he's still a person that can take me back to school on multiple levels. I just don't tell him that or give him that credence. <laughs> He's quite right, you know, especially in biotech, which is where we play, things catch up with you awful quick. Mm, very much so. Okay, so Sean, how did you get into leadership? Yeah, and it's probably by default to tell you the truth. I'd love to sit here and say that there was some strategic tactile pathway that got me into it, but I'm pretty certain that would be a lie. I've always enjoyed trying to find solutions to problems. Pardon me. And it doesn't really matter what that solution is the same type of thing comes up. You have a vision, your vision's not tactile, and you need to start motivating teams. And so I jumped into leadership because whether we were starting a new vitamin company that relied on doctors to prescribe it, which was disruptive, it was new. We needed a team to invoke a different type of consumer behavior, a different type of medical behavior, and then you know build the marketplace from it to here we are now where we're envisaging new analgesic drugs for oncology and we're centering around things that yesterday had a stigma about them, right? But we have to develop the research and develop the rationale. So leadership has just been part of what we've had to do or what I've had to do. And you live and learn by your mistakes and you do make mistakes as you go through. So once we recognized or once I recognized that I was in an ever-changing place, I was playing in new evolving markets, I went out and I did courses like most people and I've had some great professions and I've had some ones that are not so great. Had to do a lot of reading. I've obviously in my time expanded my network because there's people out there who have taught me a few things that I wish I learned a long time ago. But leadership now for me is more about know what you know, know what you don't know, trial it and improve it. It's not perfect. It's not about perfection, 
but it's about moving the needle in meaningful matters. So as I look back over my career, I've had a few fails. I've had a lot of successes, but leadership was something I was thrusted into. Mm, yeah. Interesting how it is by a default, thrusted into it, but also keep going. And, and when you said that you, you had to go out and do some training, some learning, some development, things like that, I think that's very important for a lot of listeners to understand that we, we've got to keep learning. We've got to keep going. We've got to keep growing. And over time, things do change or we go off to do different things. But it's not just, oh, here, I'll take a red pill or a blue pill, excuse the pun, come yeah. from a, a, a vitamin company and, and you know, a medical side of things. But, you know, it's not, ta-da, now you're the leader. It does take work. It does. It does a lot of work. Mm, it does. I, yeah. I can remember the first time I went into a leadership program and a very good one at an Ivy school here in the US. And I can remember on day one, I walked in thinking, I'm here, I've made it, I'm one of 20 people, I'm obviously, you know, top stuff. And it took me about five, 10 minutes to realize that that was just so not true. It wasn't funny, right? But the program itself and the time that you put into it, one of the things that does challenge you is, is where your weaknesses are. And we all have them, right? But I think the definition between a good leader and a leader is a good leader recognizes where their weaknesses are. As one of the professors said to me, Sean, you don't need to be the smartest person in the room, but damn straight, you need to know who that person is when it's crunch time. Oh, wow. It's been quite a journey as an older baby boomer. Fortunately, my mind still, as you said, is the, is the millennial trapped inside this older body. But I started out my career as a, actually as a dentist. So that always surprises people in transforming. And, and as anybody who catches my TED Talk will, will learn that I loved everything about dentistry, but dentistry. But I, I loved what we're going to talk about today about leadership. I loved helping people, love leading people, like not, not necessarily managing in a bad, in a good or a bad way, but I'd like to teamwork, the collaboration, building the business, entrepreneurship, that drove me. But basically doing the technical aspect of the work got old. And so I, I actually left that 25 years ago and started this business, which has been focusing on helping other businesses grow. Wow. That's awesome. And you know, when we talk about the dentist side of things, it would have been amazing to see that whole actual journey there. But you know, when we talk about a millennial trapped in a baby boomer body, I think some people sort of fall into a trap as well, where there's that they feel like it's an age thing around millennial side of things or Gen X and, and baby boomers and so forth. Do you think, and I think this is why you're saying this, is that we can be like a millennial, even though we may not be at that age. Tell us a little bit more about that. Oh, absolutely. Going back in time, all the way back to Hippocrates and Hercules and 300, 400 BC, they were always, everybody was complaining about the next generation. They didn't have the same work ethic. They didn't work as hard. They didn't read. They didn't write. They didn't do all those things. And that seems to be a tradition that is tough to break. So we often look at generations and do a lot of stereotyping based on a chronological age. But I'm an older boomer and I've had six decades under me, but I'm right now, I'm um, rather than retiring, and, and a lot of my friends and colleagues look at, when do you think I'm going to retire? I've got three projects on my plate right now, which are in startup mode. And having, I'm having a blast. And, and I look at a lot of my peers who have you know, basically you know, slowed down. Some of them had to do it, but they allow their minds to slow down. My mother's going to be is actually 98. And although she's starting to, to struggle somewhat, she still lives alone. And uh, although she's having trouble with her eyes, I mean, you can have a vibrant conversation, including current events with her. And she would challenge, you know, people that are many years younger than her and being alive. And so that's my goal. I'm going to basically try to, to live life to its fullest until I can't. 
Yeah, that's that's amazing. 98, wow. And for you as well, as you're saying, doing these projects and, and keeping going, I think that's where the terminology probably comes along, what we used in the past, young at heart, right? And somebody's still wanting to do things as well. My dad is turning 80 and he is still working up at 5 a.m. in the morning, still going to work to the factory and things like that. And it's just amazing to see him, how that's still keeping him active as well. So I think for our listeners, I think it's, you know, retirement's an age thing, but I actually think it's more about what is somebody wanting to do in life and what purpose they might have and what kind of energy they can still bring. And I think that's really important for people to understand that. No, you're absolutely correct. And so, again, I, I guess the word of advice to people is don't stereotype people. Don't assume there are baby boomers. You know, I know the baby boomers are, you know, always on gen have basically pointed the finger at Gen X that 20 years ago, and now then it was millennials, then it was, you know, Gen Z. People continually kind of bash the, the following generation. And yet, I really enjoy hanging out with a lot of millennials and now Gen Z. I love learning from them. I love their, their energy, their ambition, their hope, their, you know, how they see the future. There's a lot of baby boomers I'm embarrassed by what their attitude is. And although they talk about being lazy, narcissistic, egotistical, dependent on on other people's aid. You know, that's where they talk about millennials and, and Gen Z. I know a lot of baby boomers that feel very, very entitled that the rest of the world should serve them at this point. And that's not my attitude for sure, if, if you haven't figured that out. Mm -hmm. But we got a long way to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Now, tell me, how did you get into leadership? Oh, I can go back to high school well, a long time ago. I mean, I was president of our student council, involved in the class. It seemed like from a young age, if there was something that needed to be done, it seemed that I always ended up in the position not to be in charge of other people, but maybe to be in charge of the project or to lead the project, or I just took the initiative. I'm not sure I studied it. I'm not sure I thought about how did I get there. But if I look back at going back to even a, a young age, it, it always seemed that I was the person that took responsibility to put an event together or to do something. And by default, sometimes other people just don't step up to the plate and, and you become that. And also, also, I'm an achiever, you know, for good or bad. <laughs> I'm, I have a high drive, so I guess I'm, I'm a bit of the time. I've learned how to not be all type A. But when you're driven, if other people don't want to step up to the plate, you just you assume that position. And I've always been in that role through community, through family. If it was a family event, I seem to be in charge of it. I've backed off a lot because I've allowed, I've learned as a good leader. Sometimes it's easy for other just to people default to you because they know you'll get it done. And yet that meant I sometimes took on too much or or gave up something that I wanted to do. So, uh, you know, you learn. It, it took me a while to, to get there. So sometimes it's like, yeah, I think it's a great idea. Go do it. I'll support you, but go do it. I'm not taking charge. Yeah, cool. And I, and I like what you say about the, the area where some others don't step up. Then you assume the, the role of the leader. And I think it's also, I think it's two things. That, what you just said. And number two would be, don't sit there and complain. If you don't like it, then step up as a leader and then do something about it. And I think that's really important for, for our listeners to, to take into, into consideration. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I've been spending a lot of time like you over the last two years. I mean, your business transformed. You started this podcast and congratulations on that. But people are really struggling. I mean, people, it's not that people don't want to, to lead. It doesn't mean that they don't want to take charge of their life. There's many people feel that they're at the mercy of change. For the last two years, I've really kind of dove deep into how can we help people change and not 
necessarily become leaders, but in doing so, obviously, we're t- I'm taking I'm trying to take a leadership role in that. But even leaders are struggling to make that shift into what I've been calling the never normal. You know, we've had all different terms: the new normal, the next normal, the future next, the the next future. But the one that seems to stick with everybody and resonates is is we're going to live in a world of never normal, and that's certainly going to impact what leadership looks like. But the one skill, the one ability that we seem to be struggling with is how can people adapt? And part of it is skill. I mean, people are going to have to take some responsibilities to upskill and and reskill and, and, you know, build more resilience and growth mindset. But ultimately, leaders are going to have to take to really, really look at their organization. And I think we'll, you know, we'll get to this. So I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but really focus on cultures, really focus on there's a lot of lip service talking about a people first or a people forward organization. To make that happen really is going to be a challenge because our organizations have been bureaucratic, hierarchical. Uh, we still have a lot of work to go with diversity and inclusion and equity and and people are struggling with recruitment and retention and even leadership development. So there's so much on the plate. There's so many different priorities. The pandemic pulled the curtain back and exposed, you know, no matter how good anybody was, it, it said, you weren't that good. You weren't ready for what was going to happen going forward. So I think the role of leaderships is going to really be helping helping people adapt to all the changes that are happening. Yeah, so right. I mean, wow, that's, uh, I'm loving what you're saying because COVID did expose a lot of people and expose a lot of businesses as well. And I think, you know, my actual company that I actually own is called Leading Change Partners. And we get in with organizations and partner with them to lead change. In other words, lead change with them amongst themselves as leaders and the employees as an organization, but also lead change in business and in the industry and market. One thing for you to go through change and experience that. Another thing is to go actually lead it as well. And it's a different thing. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.